On this episode of the Tough Juice Podcast, we had none other than NBA superstar CJ McCollum. And it was an amazing interview. He talked about a lot of things, one of the importance of financing in the midst of this pandemic. He also talked about player clauses and contracts, the incentives. He touched on the MLB and what those players have been reporting or have not been reporting in the midst of all of this and why the numbers are so low. Also, the state of Ohio in the election period and what's happening with them and why his concerns are extremely high for his home state. Tune in to the Tough Juice podcast on the Himalaya app or wherever you listen to your pods. Hey, so CJ, bro, first and foremost, just thanks for hopping on and, you know, joining the show. What what have you been up to in the midst of all this pandemic? I've just been relaxing at home, honestly, uh, checking on family, uh, trying to call a loved one, make sure they're they're good and staying in the house, especially uh, my grandma. You know, the older you are, the more stubborn you tend to be. So <laughs> you got to make sure you're checking in on the, on everyone and then just trying to get some workouts in and expand my knowledge a little bit in some, some areas that I may not be uh, as smart as I want to be in. Yeah, that's great, man. And, you know, you've been one that I've always identified from afar as someone that like to stay informed and I see some of the, you know, the books and <laughs> things in the background, you literally have, have had the best backdrop that we've seen on the show so far. So Man, shout out to you it. for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. It took me some time to kind of put everything together with the bookshelf and reorganize it. Uh, I had to, I had to relocate my desk. My, my fiance stole my desk. So I had to relocate and uh, make sure that the, the background was the way it should be. Why, why is it so important for, you know, not just athletes, but people as a whole to, in general, to be informed on what's happening around them, what's happening in their lives, financially, spiritually, all those things? I think it's just really important you have a grasp of everything that's going on. A lot of times we get lost in our, in our own world uh, with work, with relationships, with problems that may be going on and, and chasing greatness, uh, regardless of what field you're in. And sometimes you, you miss the stuff that's right in front, in front of you. So I try to make sure I'm being mindful of, of everything around me, meditate and taking some time to myself each day and uh, reaching out to people who are experts in certain areas so that I can learn and kind of pick their brains. But for me as a professional athlete, from a financial standpoint, uh, it's, it's always important that you're in tune with your bread. You know what I'm saying? Checking in on your money, understanding your budget, understanding your expenses and your spending each day. And uh, regardless of who you have in place, uh, for me, I have a business manager and a financial advisor, but I'm constantly sending texts like, what is this? Why is the bank charging me for this? You know what I'm saying? Kind of going through uh, my monthly uh, financial statements to, to show that one, I'm on top of it, but two, to really grasp and understand my spending. Yeah, that's an educational lesson in its own. And I was the same way, bro. Like when I first got my check and, you know, dealing with my own handful of money, it was a company out there. I won't say their name, but they was charging athletes, you know, eight to 10 percent to run their portfolios. And basically they was just doing bill pay stuff. So I feel like the narrative has changed a lot. But you're on the record on saying, you know. 150 out of 450 athletes, a third of the athletes you know, probably living check to check in association. And a lot of people was taken back by that statement. Right. Can you just like pull back the layers of what you exactly meant when you yeah. had said that? Yes. For people out there that are really living paycheck to paycheck, like I feel for you and I understand because I grew up, you know, under those same circumstances. I grew up seeing eviction notices on the door. Like I know exactly what that's about and, and how hard it is to get out of a situation like that. But for a lot of athletes, they grow up that same way. You know what I'm saying? They grow up with, with bare minimum. 
a lot of times it's bare minimum. Some guys, you hear the stories about people having plumbing issues. AI had to walk, walk around in his Tim's because of was in his house. So uh, the issues guys have as kids and then they get older, they become the head of the household with millions of dollars with no structure, no understanding of how to budget it, no understanding of how to hide properly. And although I've gone through the process of all that stuff, it took me four years of college. It took some poor investment to really, truly understand the value and how to make it grow. And a lot of kids uh, to the league at, at, and develop to grow men, but they make a lot of mistakes in between. And I think the majority of the world are able to feel sorry for us. I'm not asking people to, to pay more money and put more money into our sport. Like we're fine just about education. And I think a lot of players aren't properly taught early on and they make a lot of costly mistakes. And then you have guys who are extremely smart. They hire the right people and the right people and they just kind of screw you over back and back. I mean, I'm sure you, you seen it happen. I've seen it happen to some friends where they have professionals handling their money and they mismanage it. They invest in the wrong thing or they end up uh, taking money uh, similar to Bernie's to Bernie you have all these billionaires and millionaires investing into someone who's Ponzi scheming them and stuff happens in it's a severe situation to where I was given a rough, rough estimate as to how I think players, there was a stoppage in pay. Yeah. And speaking of the stoppage in pay, I know that you have a meeting with the board today. And I, I think that's a significant mean for you guys to continue to keep the discussion. And what are, some of the major concerns, you know, just as a board member that, that concern you going forward? Uh, I think the fir- first things first is we want to make sure that if there is going to be a stoppage in pay, we're able to kind of prepare our plan. We got a lot of guys, you know, in their first to third year who are just now starting to make money, you know, figuring out how to budget it. I had a call today with some of my teammates and I'm trying to strategically help them plan their budgets out. Like understand that if checks do stop, you know what I mean? It could be three months. It could be four months. It could be whatever. It could be small incremental uh, decreases in your check. You need to understand all your expenses, whoever you're taking care of, kind of break it down and realize this is what you have. And this is what you're going to have three months. We were just really worried about the players, especially one through four, you know, guys that may be on minimums, guys that uh, aren't accustomed to having money or may have the burden, the responsibility of taking care of their entire families. You're looking at a situation where 20 million Americans have filed for unemployment and we're, we're in a position where we can help our families and are helping our families, but we have to be strategic about that and understand the value of money going forward without checks potentially coming. That's deep. And look, it, it, was, uh, it was something that was written about, you know, as a whole with the 450 players in the association. And they said out of all 450 players, nine or 10 of them uh, belong to a certain agency. And the agency that they belong to was the only guys that was going to get guaranteed money during the the midst of this pandemic. And one, I feel like that narrative and that statement was completely false. And you can speak to it just a little bit. But to my understanding is that once you take an advance on your payment for work that has not been served, you know, you still owe that money. And at some point, right? Right. Yeah, that was a false narrative they spread. Um, although there are a handful of players, I think out of out of 450, there's probably 25 to 30 guys. It's not nine or 10. But okay. I know I know Bron, KD, Blake, a lot of guys have that pay structure to where they're paid through six months. Kyrie's one of them. Um, so they all been paid in full, but but it doesn't matter. Uh, money owed is money owed. And this is a billion dollar company we're talking about. They're going to get their money. So for some of us like me, I go through a 12 month pay period where I get paid November to November. I've played 80% of the season and been compensated about 55% of the season so far. 
So in the event that the season is stopped completely, the guys that have been compensated in fully will have to write a check for the percentage of games they've missed. Uh, the league probably will settle on around 25% is my guess based on the fact that I played like 63 or 64 out of 82. We had 16 games remaining and I think that they'll average um, the other 30 teams based on games, games left. So between 24 and 26 games still has to be played. They'll take the average of 25. So guys that have already been paid will write the check 25%, which if you have the uh, ability to get your uh, payments scaled to six months, you can afford to write a five or $6 million check. But for certain guys, you know what I mean? Who are on a minimum, maybe you're making a million a year. You can't afford to write a, a $300,000 check or $200,000 check. That's a lot to write at once, especially when you've only been paid 55% of the year with taxes. So people have to understand that side of things. And that's why we're trying to scale it in a way that that is comfortable for all players, not just the guys that make 20 or 30 million a year, but the guys that are making 825,000 and only been paid 225,000. Yeah, people don't understand that from a brand standpoint either. It's like the product have to be seen on that platform, the platform right. being the NBA. So uh, some people may have shoe deals where they have to play in 70% of the games in order to get exactly. their whole, you know what I mean? So like, it's a domino effect all the way around the board. So when you see athletes doing these campaigns and all that for these massive brands, that take a hit too as well, right? Right. Percentage bonuses, uh, three-point bonuses. I know guys historically in the past have had bonuses where you got to make 100 threes, right? Or you got to make 200 threes. Maybe you're at 180 right now <laughs> and you've got 16 games left. And you're talking about six-figure bonuses to where guys can't get those. I have playoff incentive bonuses based on my shoe deal. So, like, making the playoffs, advancing in the playoffs, all that stuff is out the window, obviously, um, if we don't um, come resume back to play. But you're talking about a season in which LeBron had a chance to yes, solidify a, a larger legacy. He could have won another MVP. Giannis could potentially win another MVP. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff here at stake, not just from a money standpoint, but from a legacy of basketball standpoint, this could be the first time, first time the season was put on hold and could be the first time the season has come to an end. And that's crazy. And I'm gr glad you mentioned that when you talk about Giannis and LeBron and all of those things uh, right now in your eyes, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. One, who is your MVP for the season so far? Yeah, I go back and forth. I think yesterday I said LeBron, um, I think before the season, before LeBron had that crazy run, like that last week where he beat the Clippers, he guarded Giannis, they beat the Bucks. It was like a run of playing a lot of elite teams on national television. He showed up. I had Giannis winning the MVP because the fact that they're like, they're a 65, 68 pace win pace team right now, like, which was insane. He was doing everything and his numbers were better than his MVP season. So I had him back and forth. But after that week, I think LeBron had kind of solidified himself as, Currently, the best player in the NBA, obviously, KD's hurt. Kawhi, you know, he's monitor he's nursing injuries, coming back, playing, sometimes not playing. But I think that I had LeBron winning the MVP close, though. Giannis was a close second. Like, I give him 1A, 1B, or you could do co to keep everybody happy. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I totally agree with that as well. And when you look at, you know, the teams that's on the short list to win a championship this season, say the season doesn't resume, who would – be your favorite to win the championship if the season resumed yeah besides us uh besides us making a run and, and winning the championship i would say out of the east i'd say bucks or boston would get out of the east uh healthy bucks or boston gets out of the east and i think out of the west lakers or clippers um 
obviously matchups is huge. Health is, is huge. You're talking about guys that would have 60 to 70 days of rest. This is like a summertime of like an off season, so to speak, to where you get to rest your body, nurse your wounds, sharpen your tools up and then come back ready to go to war. So I'd say whoever was, was the most healthy and it looks like the Clippers would be super healthy. Uh, Kawhi would have plenty of rest. Patrick Beverly was nursing injuries. PG was going back and forth, but the continuity, I give it, I I'd probably say Lakers. Yeah. So I say Lakers. Yeah. What uh, that's so, and I'm glad you said that. But what aren't you okay with? You know, from a returning to uh, that just you know normal, closest thing to normal that we've seen in a long time, like playing the basketball amongst the sensuals and all that. Like, what what are some of your concerns and what are your comfort level? What where I have to see this, I have to see that, and I'm okay with this, and okay, I could do what I love to do. I think the first thing first, the government. Uh, based on what, what the professionals are saying, the CDC, everybody that's involved in the decision-making process, um, the World Health Organization, what they're saying about the vaccinations, the, the process of it, you know, the recovery timeline, if it's safe for us to resume play, can we be around, you know, on the court, you're on the court with 10 people plus three referees. Now, that's more than 10 people in the room right there. Same basketball, you, you bump it up against each other, all that stuff. Um, is it safe enough to do that? Is it safe enough to have 50 people in the gym, you got both teams, which is 15 and 15, that's 30, seven and seven from each coaching staff, that's 14 plus the referees, plus strength and conditioning. So you're looking at over 50 people in a small area and they don't even want us to have 10 people in your own house. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm saying? So, so like, is that safe? And if that's safe, then I can kind of program myself and, and get ready to go hoop and just not even worry about it. But until they sign off on it, I'm not really trying to experiment with it and, and, and kind of put not only myself at jeopardy, but other, other players, um, as well as family members, because at, at the end of the day, we all got family members that are that are over 50 and we need to protect. I've always been a huge fan of this program, the NBA's uh, rookie transition program. Uh, do you think that, you know, they're doing enough to educate the young players on just uh, just revenue streams and the importance of, you know, saving your money financially and all those things? I think they're definitely getting better. Uh, we've definitely had some discussions on, on conversations that need to be had. One of the things we've worked on and I've told them we need to work on is, is figuring out how to hire the right people, background checks. Are we conducting audits? I always get on the guys and say that you're a, you're a, a multi-million dollar entity. You're, you're your own business. You have to audit your own business. Small mom and pop shops do audits. Large corporations do audits. You have to make sure you're checking the people who are working for you and controlling your money and your flow, your income. So making sure we explain those things, explain that it's okay to say no to people. I think when you first get money, get into the league, there's a lot of people that you feel like you owe, people that helped you get, get to where you are today. And, and it's partially true. A lot of people did help you, but you can't save and help everybody right away. You got to strategically plan who you're helping, who you're taking care of, and how you're going about it. And then from a tax standpoint, there's ways to strategically pay people, put them under your entity, uh, create an LLC, start a corporation or a business and give them specific jobs as opposed to just giving away money and getting taxed on it. Yeah, that's real, bro. And, you know, all the things that you just broke down and broke down extremely well, you've been talking about investing for quite some time and having a backup plan and strategically investing, diversifying your portfolio and all those things. How did you come to that realization and the education of that part for yourself and how are you helping others in the process? I think for me, just going to Lehigh 
it opened my eyes up to a lot. You know, I seen a lot of things that I wasn't exposed to in Canton, Ohio, understanding the business world, understanding how powerful and influential you can be by using your celebrity, uh, being a, a basketball player, professional athlete. A lot of people want to be around you. It's just about strategically aligning yourself with people who can help you and people that you can help, you know, with, with similar interests. And for me, um, it's just been about education, first and foremost, early on, learning about how to invest, taking some losses, small losses, though, where you experiment, you figure out the process of, you know, investing into a fund as opposed to a, a alternative investment like real estate or learning about franchising. And I think one of the biggest things my team has done around me is put me in a room with people who can be helpful, whether that's a junior Bridgman, who's one of the most successful businessmen out there, who's an ex-athlete, who's, you know, made, you know, close to a billion dollars, uh, Don Peebles, who's the first black billionaire in real estate. So having conversations with those people where I can feel comfortable with investing into real estate later on down the road. So I think those are the ways I strategically kind of planned my life. But then just understanding, you know, that fear, like we all have that fear of going broke. You know, when you see the 30 for 30 broke, you hear stories about people losing money or making poor investments. Like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, for one, the average career lifespan of an athlete is four and a half, five years, right? For an NBA player. For two, most of them go broke. What is it? 60 to 70% go broke within uh, five to eight years after retirement. So like my clock is ticking. I'm in year seven. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hopefully I got, hopefully I got 10, eight, eight, nine, 10 more years, but you never know. And then when you retire, it's like, well, what do I do next? So I'm kind of planning, you know, my retirement while I'm still hooping so that I can kind of uh, smoothly uh, transition into it. And that's a great uh, observation too. You know, a lot of people don't understand that this can easily be me you know, in this, in this process. Right. And I was always like that too. I had a, the luxury of reaching out to magic and junior Bridgman as well, who was some of my mentors, masterpiece, so many other guys. So that's a, that's a great fortune to have for you have guys that have been through adversity, have been through the trials and tribulations and right. ed educate you and plant those seeds. What I would ask you next is, you know, looking at the commissioner, Adam Silver and all the things that he's done, how have you think, that he's done in the midst of this pandemic with addressing all the issues with the association and just electing not to keep guys out there on that platform. I think he's responding well. Uh, I was joking with somebody yesterday, like, man, he's, he's handled this extremely well. My stomach would be hurting. My stomach was hurting when it first happened, but I really <laughs> felt for him because it's been a crazy, crazy year for him. You're talking about the, the situation we had with China, the passing of Kobe, the passing of his mentor, uh, David Stern, so many things happened this year. And then we have an epidemic that's unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, he's, he's handled extremely well. We were the first uh, professional um, sports uh, with the NBA, the, fir the first uh, organization to act on this issue. I think we were the first people to kind of shut it down. Like, hey, we're not going to do this. And then everybody kind of followed suit. And I think he set a great precedence for, for putting uh, health and safety of the masses over everything else. So with us, that's that's why I still feel in a crazy way, uh, maybe quirky way that because we set the president where we was the we was the first domino to fall. I think that will be the first domino to come back <laughs> and show everyone, you know, how it's done in a safe manner. Right. What's your thoughts on that? No, I mean, I feel like we're, we're heading in that direction. The only the only kicker is that we've already played games. MLB hasn't started yet. NFL hasn't started yet. So I know they're determined to figure out a way to not lose a season's worth of the revenue, a season's worth of fans, a season's worth of games, especially when if they can uh, if we can restart sports with no fans. Could you imagine the type of viewership we'd get right now with everybody being at home? Through like, the roof. It would be unbelievable. So I think I think it's going to be us or baseball because – 
baseball is already trying to figure out ways to just play in Arizona. They're looking into ways to kind of successfully do it. They haven't had a lot of cases. Whereas you look at the NBA, we have owners, we have an owner who's you know, still recovering from coronavirus. We've had more players uh, publicly test positive. I think other players probably had it and they, they just didn't announce it. And now you have the NFL where players are kind of coming out saying like, Hey, I got coronavirus. So I think the MLB has kind of been in the dark. They've been quiet about how they're moving around. Like I think they got some players with coronavirus who have recovered or have recovered. They haven't announced it, but I say it will be us or the, or the MLB to come back first. That's my guess. Can you imagine the excitement of the TV partners with, you know, cause you know, the views have been down this year, you know, for whatever reason, I know people are on their devices and they're just looking at clips and stuff like that right. and kind of the finale, but live entertainment coming back in the midst where everybody's on a stay at home order. Like it will just be through the roof. Yeah. I would imagine everyone is watching. Like I, I was watching old games and normally I'm on YouTube, like checking out old games, but I was watching like sixties games, seventies games. I'm watching documentaries on basketball in general, learning about who shot the first jump shot. Like I'm just looking for any type of content to really like pull me back into to sports in general. So imagine, you know, a playoff that starts or a series of regular season games that starts before a playoff or just MLB. And I'm not a big baseball guy. But I would watch I watch MLB right now. I watch hockey. I watch a cornhole <laughs> tournament at this point. Like whatever it takes. <laughs> I watch live horse races. I don't care anything, bro. Hey, listen, Chuck, I think it was Chuck or Shaq that was talking about what about the possibilities of a tournament where it's like, you know, NCAA style and you right. get all the teams in one location and you just have a, a tournament because, you know, you want to have a finale to the season. And I said, look, one of the most dangerous teams in that tournament would be the Portland Trailblazers <laughs> for numerous reasons. You know, it's like if you have the feel of 32 or whatever the case may be and all of a sudden you're looking and you're like, man, that team right there, they can just go on a tear and right. just win all those games and win the chip. What's your thoughts on that? No, that would be cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing it. I think for a team that's in a position like us where we're fighting for a playoff spot, like we right there three and a half, four games out, we've been hurt. We got players that's still ready, like ready to come back, but we can't play now. So they kind of just rehabbing, working out on their own, like thirsting, thirsting for a chance to get back on the court. I think we'd be in a good position to do some real damage. But for other teams, I think it's kind of messed up. Like the Lakers, the, uh, the Celtics, Bucks, some of those teams put themselves in position to have home court advantage to be a one C and now you got to play in a single game elimination tournament. You might, you might be matching up against a team that that's not a favorable matchup, even though you had a great year. I think for them, they probably be like, nah, let's do three game series or something like that. Try to, <laughs> try to smoothen it out as opposed to playing one game, because as we've seen, anything can happen in one game. Like you don't need to be the better team. You need to be the better team that night. <laughs> for real. <laughs> so one you don't night. feel bad for them, though, do you? No, nah, no, nah, I don't. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Give them that work, right? Yeah, whatever happens, happens. Like if, if we got to go play one game for, for all the marbles, then I'm with it. Look, I, I've seen the connection on social media, and I feel like I know you so well, bro. Like following some of you guys, and y'all great ambassadors for the game, all the things that's right about, you know, just making the seamless transition into the other spaces. And I've seen the connection that you had, have had with Carmelo Anthony. Can you just touch on that a little bit? And also, why was it important for him to have a landing spot in the nation there in Portland? Yeah, I've known Melo for a little while. Um, 
got to know him over the course of some summers in New York, playing in some of the runs and, and talking to him and recruiting him, trying to get him to come to Portland in years past. But uh, I'm thankful he was able to, to get back into the league. And I'm happy it was with us. Uh, I always tell people it was, it was mutual. You know, we wanted him to be here. He wanted to be back. And uh, it was it was it was the perfect time. We had gone through injuries. We were needing that punch and he was needing more life. Like, I think he was leaning towards retiring and, and we kind of brought back his uh, his love for the game. But he's been great for the locker room. I talked to him. I faced, we FaceTimed yesterday. I talked to him today on Zoom and just kind of checking in with everybody and kind of explaining like what I think is going to happen in the next few weeks. And he's been a great mentor for the young guys in terms of knowledge, telling stories, basketball stuff, skill work, fundamentals. And storytelling. The storytelling is, is crucial for young guys to hear about what the league used to be like, you know, what he went through financially, how to kind of make you know, certain decisions, how to strategically kind of align your brand with certain um, people and, and influencers in this world. So I think he's been great. Um, he's playing well. He's playing at a high level, kind of showing that he still has it. And, uh, you know, that's a guy I'll be friends with for a long time down the road. That's the ultimate respect right there. And I'm glad that those young fellas are getting that experience. And I'm glad that he finally came there because it fits him well. Um, a lot of people can't have this this next question thrown at them. And the reason why I'm throwing it at you, because I, I know that you're well-rounded and I know you got your eyes and you got a post of a lot of things. Uh, I had Lieutenant Governor uh, Mandela Barnes on the show yesterday of Wisconsin. And I'm a Midwest guy as well. And he was talking about the election period. And in the midst of the stay at home order, they had, you know, individuals out still doing the election. And it was just a, a lot of craziness where a lot of people was put in harm's way. And I seen that you're from Ohio and with protesters and Republican lawmakers pressuring Governor Mike to reopen the businesses, the schools, the public places uh, by May 1st. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a tough situation. And, you know, being from Ohio, having family there, my grandma's there, my brother flew back from Russia, his wife is pregnant. Everyone is, is taking this seriously, especially people that are over 30. I think people over 30 are really taking it seriously because they understand the severity and importance of staying in the house and staying out the way. Obviously, elections are important. That process is extremely important, but I don't think we should be risking lives to place votes. I think they should figure out a way to either uh, absentee. You do it at home, you do it wherever you're at, or we just uh, push it back a little bit because we're in a position now to where although businesses are, are losing money, a lot of people are are having to sacrifice and, and kind of figure out what they're going to do next from a, from a financial standpoint. You don't want to risk your lives over placing a vote or going out in public. I, I've seen Florida's opening up beaches. There's a lot of stuff is happening right now yeah, that's that, crazy. that is, is questionable because we don't know the severity of this virus. We've seen, we've seen the harm it can do, you know, 700 people are dying a day in certain, in certain parts of the world. I think New York's up to 7,000 deaths. It's getting worse. And by opening up the floodgates and, and pretending that things are normal, or trying to get back to normalcy, I think it's not going to, it's not going to turn out well, uh, regardless of, you know, how you label it. If you open up the beaches and say you can't sunbathe, do you think people are not going to go to the beach and sunbathe? <laughs> <That's real>. you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they out there. If you go into the beach, chances are you bring in a towel, you're going to do some type of beach behavior, whether that's playing volleyball, riding your bike, running, whatever the case may be. And I know it's hard. Like, it's hard for me to just stay in the house and, and not really go outside and do stuff. But I think this small sacrifice will allow us to have, you know, more freedom later on in the summer, as opposed to having our whole summer canceled because we wanted to go do some, some things for joy, you know, in, in April, as opposed to wait until June. 
That's crazy. As a journalism uh, major who's written articles on your pull-up podcast, what are your thoughts on communication and journalism and how have it changed in the midst of this pandemic? What are the positives and negatives? Yeah, I would say that the negatives are that anybody can be a journalist now. Like Mm. anybody has power, which is good and bad because if the wrong people get power, they can spread the wrong information. You know what I'm saying? And then people are being misinformed on certain things. And and then there's just a lot of uneducated people speaking on topics they're ignorant about, which is a whole nother story and argument. But the positives are that it gives people a voice. People that normally may not have a voice, it gives them a voice for injustices that are going on. You know, you see a lot of people posting videos using social media to their power, whether that's police brutality, whether that's just people being mistreated or harmed in, in the wrong way or, certain events that may occur, someone is falsely accused, falsely blamed, and are able to kind of right those wrongs because of social media and action followed by people retweeting and, and kind of voicing for those people. So I think it's been great to see the live streams. You know, people have been able to take advantage of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, Zoom. I think people have been able to spend more time with loved ones and kind of connect again, which is also important from a communication standpoint. So I've enjoyed the the process of learning more about people and how they kind of deal with, you know, these types of things that are once in a lifetime. Speaking of, you know, people creating content, you've done a remarkable job at creating content of your own. Just talk a little bit about the pull up podcast and what's that all about? Yeah. And I appreciate the pull up pod. Uh, We've been doing it. We just recorded the 105th episode yesterday uh, with Tyler Hero. Uh, we've been we've been talking about everything. We mainly started off focusing on sports, giving people a glimpse of you know what it's like to be in a league uh, behind the scenes. I tell stories. I uh, I bring on like a lot of different athletes. We're trying to kind of diversify. I think we're going to take a hiatus here shortly uh, due to what's what's happening and kind of revamp our our strategic uh, approach going forward. But some of my favorite uh, podcasts I had Brian Compliment on. He's the executive producer of Billions. Um, I've had obviously Mellow KD all those guys on and we've, we've triggered conversations about mental health, which is, it's just huge meditation, the importance of finding your safe space and being able to surround yourself with the right people. Uh, Steve Nash, you know, told a story about how he, he used to doubt himself. He was talking about a hall of famer who won uh, multiple MVPs, uh, wasn't always sure of himself. And I think it's important that people hear those types of stories because they think that we're just invincible robots as professional athletes. But in reality, we all go through the same stresses, if not more, from a pressure standpoint to a self-doubt standpoint. So I would highly suggest everyone check out some of those uh, episodes. We, we, we go into great t- detail about many things that may not be heard uh, outside of that. Yeah, you talk about depression, and I, I've been a huge advocate for, you know, mental illness and all those things because I think in the midst of this pandemic, you know, a lot of people are, aren't look used to this structure, and I think they're not going to come out okay. So what are some of the things that you can do to relieve stress and uh, in the midst of all of this? Yeah, I think one of the things you can do is is set yourself a schedule, uh, whether that's a work schedule. I'm going to eat at this time. I'm going to go outside and give myself 30 minutes. I'm going to work on breathing for 30 minutes. I'm going to read for 30 minutes. I'm going to call my grandma, my cousin, my auntie, my brother, whoever it may be. Give yourself a schedule of things you can kind of do throughout the day so that you don't feel like your days are rolling over. You know, I've, I've had like days feel like weeks and I've had days, you know, feel like five minutes you know, based on what I'm doing. So I think that's important. And uh, just try to try to give yourself that, that time alone to really meditate and, and breathe and, and focus, whether that's five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, whatever the case may be, because one, it's good for your heart and two, it's good for your soul. And if you're in the house for 24 hours for days and days at a time, you're going to go crazy. So I would encourage people to get outside away from people, take your walk. 
uh, take your jog, whatever the case may be, because uh, it is hard. It's hard for everyone. One of the first things you touched on when I reached out about the podcast and you creating some time, you was just like, hey, bro, I got to I got to walk Fiona. I got to walk my dog. I got to do this. <laughs> like, what is why is that so important for you and your relationship with your dog? I mean, you, Clay Thompson, a lot of right. people talk about those relationships a lot. Right. It's it's huge. And, you know, we just got a dog. My fiance, she wanted a dog bad. So we fostered and then we ended up adopting. And uh, it just gives you a different outlook on everything, uh, how they act, how they respond, how they kind of grow. It's it's all in a hurry. Like it happens fast. Like they get potty trained and then they start to like come to you when they're hungry. And then you kind of know when they want to go out and you have that relationship to where you want to take care of them because it's rewarded. You know, regardless of what's happening, they're always happy to see you. You know what I mean? They always follow you around the house. And they, do, they do those types of things to where like, you, you truly kind of appreciate a life outside of uh, the normal stuff that's going on. But I try to set a schedule because I won't have this much time again, probably for the rest of my life. So like, <laughs> I, I want to make sure like if I can walk, I, I'm taking her on a walk or we're going on a walk or if she wants to play and whatever, I'll go outside and watch her play. And my fiance will like play with her in the yard and she'll throw, throw stuff and she'll chase it and bring it back. And it's just cool to just kind of have those moments because once reality kicks back in, it's a, it's a whirlwind. That's a game changer, bro. And I just truly appreciate you making time coming on the show today. My last question for you is ultimately when you look back at your legacy, and I know you got a lot of work still to do, but you've done some amazing things. What do you want that legacy to consist of? I want people to remember me for just being a good dude. I think I've been authentic in my entire life. I've done things the right way and I've done things my way, uh, unapologetically being myself. So I think from a legacy standpoint, just impacting the community. Um, from a journalism standpoint, helping people. I got CJ's Press Pass. I've helped build Dream Centers with the Boys and Girls Club. I've tried to impact as many lives as possible while showing people that you can be yourself. You can come from a small city and be successful. Uh, you can make a lot of money and never change. I think that's important. And and, and it's, when I say I never change, I mean, I've evolved from a, from a how I act to a maturity standpoint, but um, I still remember where I come from. And I think that's extremely important for my legacy and my last name. And and when people hear about me and they, and they read my name, they'll know I hoop, but they'll be like, he impacted the world and uh, he was a good dude. And I think that's, that's what's really important. That's powerful, King. I appreciate you, brother. And thanks for making time for me. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Yep, salute. Take care. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah.